And just when we think we're out, they pull us back in. Welcome to the latest episode of the Meltzer Five Star Project. And the penultimate episode in the original single match per episode format. As we explained last time, once we reach 220 five star plus matches, we will start bunching them into episodes of five. But until then, you've got two more episodes now. This is the penultimate one. Next week you'll have the 220th. We'll talk about that at the end of this episode. But I should finish this off by saying that I'm your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen. And here is your other Meltzer Five Star Project Let Me Tell You Something co-host. Simon Cross. Simon, what is this match we're discussing? Who's involved? Who's responsible this? What are we here for today? (laughs) So close. So close to the end. End of the single episode format, that is. We are talking about a match that took place in Osaka on the 4th of November between Shota Umino and... Oh, I don't know, listeners. Take a wild guess. It's Will Ospreay! Also, Will Ospreay in New Japan, which you seem to reference recently as, like, your nemesis. And I'm just curious if you feel that way with this one. It's very good chance now... I mean, I'm not going to tempt fate because he still has a match against Josh Alexander in Impact. But I think that will be the last high-profile match of 2023 for Will Ospreay since the match that was being set up on this one at the end of this match will be on January the 4th, 2024, and will involve David Finlay. So, unlikely to tickle Meltzer's five-star fancy, but not impossible, let's be honest. Because this is the first singles match involving Shota Umino to get five stars. Well, it didn't get five stars. It got five and three quarter stars. <laughs> Please see previous episodes for our thoughts on that. <laughs> we've we've been. The, this is why we are where we are. <laughs> but yeah, when you were talking about in the Mike Bailey episode that Will Ospreay in New Japan is what you're sick of. Mm. Has your mind changed slightly from this match? Because I'll say right off the bat, I think after the Kenny Omega matches, this is my favourite Will Ospreay match of 2023. Yeah, I think I need to edit, no, add an addendum, sorry, to to my uh, opinion that I shared in that episode. Is add an addendum literally a tautology or is it required? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's one of those funny ones. Yeah. I think it isn't New Japan Will Ospreay I was sick of. It's the opponents that New Japan Will Ospreay faced and the kind of matches he had with those opponents I was sick of. You could only take so many more Zack Sabre Jr., Tetsuya Naito and Kazuchika Okada matches from him. Is that what you're saying? And Shingo. I have to throw Shingo into that mix. And I loved those at the start, but... I agree with you, because none of those matches that we've seen recently have provided anything new to the dynamic 
that at least draws you in emotionally. Takagi and Zack Sabre ones seem like farewell or borderline affectionate greatest hits compilations. Whereas this still feels like part of an ongoing story, but not necessarily Will Ospreay's ongoing story unless he signs with AEW. And if he does sign with AEW, and assuming things stay good with New Japan, I definitely want more Will Ospreay show to Umino matches in my life, if that's the case. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they were hinting at something future here. That there's more of the story to be told. I feel that this was like a real star-making show for Shota Umino. I, I can't remember if I don't think I have seen it, but people talk about Sting versus Ric Flair. Mm. At, uh, is it Clash of the Clash Champ- of the Champions? Yeah, where Sting lost but was still he, made. He, he drew. It was a time ah. limit draw. But he, oh, sorry, he didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that episode of The Simpsons. Can we not just say the father of the boy who doesn't win? Ah, oh, fine. But he was made as a result. Obviously, Steve Austin as well, uh, famously against Bret Hart. Is it that level of iconic? I don't know. Time with those situations, time is the factor. Like it, we won't know until we see what he does mm. long term. Mm. But he's been given a great opportunity here, a great platform. Between the match Osprey we had with Yota Suji and the match he's had with Shota Rumino here, it does look like the future's bright. Yeah. With them and Ren Narita, Yuimura, Gabe Kidd, who else they might be bringing up over time. If Will Osprey does leave New Japan, I don't think that that hole will take long to be filled. And more importantly for New Japan, it will be filled by domestic talent. Yeah. Because maybe there has been an over-reliance in New Japan on bringing in Gaijin, like Zack Sabre, like OJ Styles, like Kenny Omega, and that their own dojo graduates have been letting the side down slightly since Okada. Yeah. Your Yoshihashis, your Evils, etc., House of Torture, anyone? No, thank you. (laughs) Now, as we've said, with this crop of talent, and that does seem to be the basis of stories going forward. And there's still some ones where you're like, are they there fully yet? It's not sure. And they they haven't had any five-star matches yet with each other. Mm. But I would not be surprised if come 2027, we're talking about G1 Climax Finals and... Dominion main events and Wrestle Kingdom main events that Meltzer's giving five and seven eighth stars to. <laughs> Involving Shotarumino versus Yota Suji or Ren Narita versus Yuya Yuimura. Or it might just be a case that Meltzer will love those matches, but for some reason he'll just keep giving them four and three quarter star matches until they hit their 40s and suddenly there's a five and a quarter. and, and the We might have a lull at some point. You can't ride this peak forever, can we? But it won't necessarily be a lull. It will just be a lull in what Meltzer likes. Because obviously Meltzer likes Osprey. Yeah. Obviously Meltzer likes Okada. We don't know yet if what Meltzer actually loves likes is Umino or Suji or Yuimura or Narita. When those matches with each other get the high ratings from Meltzer is when we'll know how... And But they again, like, Meltzer wasn't giving any of those New Japan matches in the 90s five stars, but they were doing as well, if not better, than the All Japan shows that were getting all the five stars that Meltzer could give them before he'd even thought that he could go higher than that. But that's for a conversation to carry over, maybe. My main curiosity with New Japan and... Remember when we were talking about gay girls and I was saying, I think there's a chance that this whole movie's a work. Yes. And because Japan 
for the most part, keeps kayfabe a lot stricter. Obviously, sometimes you get your Ibushis letting it all come out. <laughs> Wild card, man. But who knows with that. So, when Shotarumino was making his entrance with John Moxley's jacket and everything, I was like, I've seen him have good matches, and he's doing the right things, but then there just seems to be still a lack of confidence in the eyes or a lack of swagger in the entrance mm. or whatever that makes me think does he have that just innate charisma but then after osprey mostly controls the first 10 minutes or so of the match because at first literally it's like umino's trying to contain osprey at the start with headlocks and trying to keep him grounded which is usually not what the younger more dynamic you would think wrestler and umino is a dynamic style of wrestler yes out of the at least uh, Suji and Yuimura, he's got the more flashy move set out of the three of them. Mm. I don't yet know enough about Yuimura's move set now to know if that's going to be the case with him. But it was still like I can't match this guy for quickness. I can't match this guy for high flying. And then when Will Ospreay puts him in the cheeky Nando's kick, and he feels like Umino's giving him nothing and spits in his face. Yeah, that might be like one of those pivotal moments in a wrestler's career possibly like when Mitsuhara Masawa took off the tiger mask mask and just like kicking the shit out of the people <laughs> he was against and then hitting Jumbo Saruta the next time he saw him really hard in the face <laughs> <laughs> um obviously western terms the, the blood for Stone Cold when he passes out on the sharpshooter. Yes, but that didn't cr- I guess it kind of created a little bit more to the Austin character in the any element of cowardice that would sometimes still show up in the character slightly. Like, say, when Bret Hart made his entrance in the 97 Royal Rumble, and for a moment there's fear in Austin's eyes, but then quickly he's like, no, nah, come on, I can take you. Yeah. Maybe that you could argue there, but my point is that, like, it seemed like there was a switch and we saw a different part of him. We'd seen traces of it with the fights with Kazuchi Krokada in the crowd. But this one, it was like, it was extra sauce on top of that. That he, instead of Okada sending him into the chairs in the crowd, was sending Osprey into the chairs into the crowd. He was ramming Osprey into the tables. Mm. And then later on, when Osprey's trying to hit a big move off the top rope, he doesn't try an out technique or anything. He shows that nasty side by doing the John Moxley finger rakes across the back. And we'll get more into why that is as this episode goes on. But this was one of those cases where I think my problem with Osprey, as I've said in the in the second half of the year, is that he's been a protagonist but without a destination. Yeah. Or at least a destination within Kayfabe. We know that Osprey's destination in twenty twenty four is I'm going wherever I can finally start making some money. But the Osprey of twenty twenty two in that G one climax match with Kazuchiko Okada where he's all banged up or the Wrestle Kingdom match where he's facing off against Kenny Omega, this like this standard he's had to try and match and has been bitching about him online for the past four years. And then trying to get his revenge on him later on in the Forbidden Door match. That Osprey's kind of gone away ever since he got that win over Omega on the AEW front. But also since he lost the G1 to Naito. And that was like the final sign of like, if they're not putting him in the Wrestle Kingdom main event to win the title now, they're never going to do it. Yeah. And that's where I think it's funny that even if Umino for the rest of his career goes without a victory over Osprey in return because of where their respective paths go, 
Mm. It's not like a lost chapter. It's not like a, a, a finished loop like it needed to be for Osprey to get at least some sort of win over Kenny Omega. Because I think the ultimate story of Umino and the rest of these Rewa New Generation guys yeah. is that they will surpass Okada in the way that Omega, Jay White, and Osprey were never able to do. Because of their who they are, basically. Yeah, because maybe they truly are the manifestations of New Japan, and there's obviously a nativist element to that. Mm. But I do think, like, there's a reason why New Japan has always, and Japanese wrestling has always been about the native talents ultimately overcoming originally the Gaijin level. Yeah. And then by the time of the 80s, where it sort of had its own insularity of industry and figures like Ricky Choshu were like, I'm not just gonna be Inoki's underling. Why do we always have to be facing Gaijin in main events? Why can't we just face each other? Mm. Which had obviously already happened in the 60s and 70s, but, you know, come the 80s and 90s, and the 90s in particular, the real lack of Gaijin as, like, high-level talent and, like, being what it's defined by. It's not that they've got Stan Hansen, Andre the Giant, Bruiser Brody, Hulk Hogan and everyone. It's like they've got Scott Norton and that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not nothing, but it's it's not a lot, is it? (laughs) But in recent years, it does feel like, especially with the popularity of the Bullet Club, and the fact that New Japan also... Have not just been putting the belt on Gaijin talent, but they're also putting it on Sonada or Kotoribushi. Figures that didn't even have to go through the New Japan Dojo system to be presented as like the ace or at least the top champ of the promotion. Yeah. And for them to build storylines around them that before then were always about Tanahashi, Nakamura, Shibata, whoever was like a, a local talent. Like Umino is part of this movement now for the first time in a long time where it feels like New Japan can kind of rely on themselves to have all the fantastic matches and the storylines and create their own stars. Yeah. And this was the first match where I really felt a confidence that Umino... It's still a question of... Umino can match Osprey and give Osprey his best match. Can Umino then give other people their best matches and be the focal point? Not just a supporting player like a local cult hero like Yoshihashi became. Yeah. Like someone that you can build Wrestle Kingdoms and... Well, I'm thinking that, like, it's just been Okada Naito as far as the last time that it was two homegrown native talents that they were able to entrust with Wrestle Kingdom main events. Otherwise, it's been Omega, Jay White, who was homegrown, but not quite. Yeah. Ibushi, and now Sonada, who didn't go through that dojo system. I think you're in in terms of their traditional values. It's definitely more in keeping with that having dojo graduates hit the top level, and they are less likely to be snatched up by other prom- or by Western promotions. Well, I think WWE, even at their like least interesting outsider talent, would not have turned down Kazuchika Okada if they could have got him. Oh, yeah. And he did appear at some WWE events, so yeah. I'm sure they had a chat. But, obviously, it's a big deal for someone to make that move, if that's what you want to do. Nakamura did want to do that, mm. and Kushida wanted to do that, but that's not necessarily what... I can't imagine every one of Umino, Suji, Yuimura, and Narita want to do that, and nor should they need to. I mean, look how long it took WWE to convince Gunther to move to America. It's a big... And, and Will Ospreay. Yeah. It, look, 
not everyone wants to uproot their life. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the crux of this match is showing that Umino shows a fire and a resilience that he's never shown before. You know, he'd had a match with Naito that really didn't get mm. anyone going recently. He had an underwhelming G1 climax. But, as is the case, especially with New Japan, it's a long, long story that they're telling. And this this is the big one for Umino. Like, going to say, this is the start of a new chapter. I think we're both in agreement on that. Yeah, because he hasn't had that singles match with Okada yet that matches this. He's had the six-mans, and he's done that stuff, and he's fought with Okada in the crowd. But now, after this Osprey match, it's more conceivable that maybe when they have their first big singles match with each other, maybe Umino might even be able to get a surprise win on Okada. They won't give him that definitive win. Although... They did make a point that he's already learned to maintain risk control. Yeah. In this match. <laughs> that, that was interesting. I think he could be the guy. I was really impressed with him. And one of the reasons I was really impressed with him, because it does take to his tango, and we saw this in the Suji match, is the way that Will Ospreay's selling for these guys. He's He is doing his part and building these guys. Mm. Still getting his wins, because, you know, he is Osprey in New Japan. But... They both looked much better for having gone through the match. Well, yeah, I think it's like, if you just put Umino over Osprey because the general consensus is, well, Osprey's leaving, so they need to do it. So then there's the less of a sense of Umino earning it. It's just, we need this to get this done. Give him whatever kind of rub you can. And then weirdly, even though it's all fake, yeah. but we know we know what characters mean. That's why... We got pissed off at who ended up being the final king in Game of Thrones because like this was this wasn't timed <laughs> for perfection. <laughs> like, just, it's just there. It's not logical with the way that Umino's been presented so far that he would be Osprey fair and square. But what this revealed was a strength and a power within Umino and a ruthlessness now within him that with a little bit of time he will get there. Yeah, and as I said. I think that the... But what's curious is that maybe Umino will be the guy or maybe Suji will be the guy. But I think because they're all coming together, it wasn't a point where Hashimoto, Muto and Chono, it was like they can all be the guy. They can share it. It's not one person's responsibility. Yeah, which you kind of feel Okada's been in that situation. Yeah, it's usually that there's 1A, 1B, 1C with them. And so maybe with the... These guys, they'll be 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D. Yeah. And that they can take turns or whatever, or they have their own strengths. Like Chono's was, he always won G1, and he was the badass heel, and he was the cool one. Whereas Muto was the international star, the super charismatic guy, but like the wild character. Whereas Hashimoto was in that mold of the local... Like, if there was a 1A out of the three of them, on the domestic front, it probably was Hashimoto. Yeah. Maybe Umino will be that, because whilst he doesn't have the Hashimoto similarities, he does have the Tanahashi similarities and the Fujinami similarities. And there's no... Well, I guess Suji might be an equivalent of Hashimoto insofar as he's a bigger power guy, but again, not with the kicks. That's more Narita. So it's like... It's not exact like for likes, but it's just... It's wonderful that there could be variants. I mean, it does mean that we might get even more five stars in the future if all of them reach that level with Meltzer. But it won't just be Will Ospreay versus X. It will be these varieties within it. It will be like the fact that we got Kabashi v. Kawada, Misawa v. Tawe, Misawa v. Kawada, Misawa v. Kabashi. Sadly, no Fushi in that, but we can't have everything. No, but 
and and Taui, I don't think ever had matches with Kabashi or Kawada that got the five stars from Meltzer. But but he was there. I'm sure they were having great matches still, just not for the not for ones that we got to cover for the Meltzer five star project. And yeah. he was doing his role, and that's the thing. Like Meltzer might also be giving loads of these matches four or three quarter stars, and that's really good too. Yes, we just won't be able to cover it on this show, and so sometimes I feel like not not within this specific arc of our show. And sometimes I feel like maybe we sometimes too much build our narrative within the five-star matches as if to imply that every other Will Ospreay match that didn't get five stars doesn't exist and is not worthy of conversation. It's it's one of the reasons I think we're going down the bunching route yeah, as well. Because then we can just talk about larger issues in general and maybe even sprinkle in some other matches that we liked during that period that we might have given five stars to or we liked more than those matches. But we've not had chance yet. We've not had chance the more hopeful free form nature of those episodes will allow more freedom. But if we're going to end on matches, this is a great one of those matches to end on. Um, Umino's moveset, this look, there's a viciousness to it. And the way he builds, they build how resilient he is and how much Osprey has to do to him to ultimately keep him down. I will say, though, if there was one part that I felt slightly like when, moments when I was lost in in excitement it would be a couple of moments of Umino in control and Umino can hit like cool fast paced moves and there's like a sequence where he just keeps hitting Osprey with like they do like chain sequences of moves and it's always Umino that was coming out on top and nearly always ending it with like some sort of DDT that was spiking yeah Osprey on his head and he was also doing a lot of Osprey's moves to him, like doing his Os Cutter, trying to do his Stormbreaker, I think, at one point, doing hidden blades and everything. That DDT, he sort of slingshots himself over the ropes to spike Will onto the apron. That that was one of the moments where I, I got swept up in it. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> He's got the physical abilities of a Tanahashi, or that is because... God knows how much they drill into them, but he obviously has those innate athletic abilities with him as well. Yeah. Like, he was able to go hold for hold, move for move with Osprey, and Osprey wasn't slowing down for anyone in this match. My worries, again, going on into the future are, Osprey is genuinely a great storyteller now in the ring. Sometimes he goes into the bombast. There is those dramatic moments. I'm not going to say our usual way of describing it, but the fact that it's 40 minutes long. There were moments when Umino's choice of moves surprised me a little, especially when it was after Moxley had finally come out and was willing him on and he got back into it. It is nice that Umino had both his dads with him. (laughs) But then he applies an STF. Yeah. And not particularly well. And just the crowd's at this, like, crescendo at that moment. And he should have, like, done another sort of long, like, big, hard-hitting, beating the shit out of him sequence. And instead, he did quite a fundamental, basic submission hold. Mm. Uh, Didn't really target anything that he'd gone after on Osprey throughout the match. Isn't it because, is it the connotations of who gave him the STF more than anything else? Not gave him, but anointed well, the STF is from Luthers, and from Luthers it went down to Masachono, and so on and so on. There's significance to the STF, but I've never attached that significance to Umino. I might be wrong there, but I just, it didn't feel like, it wasn't like a perilous situation for Osprey at that moment. And at that moment, the story was supposed to be, oh, Osprey's in deep trouble again, like he was when Umino had like done the Ibushi zombie no sell earlier on and knocked him out with like what knocked him down with like one forearm did you watch with the english commentary out of interest no i didn't i had the japanese commentary on so i watched with the english commentary oh did chris charlton have a history breakdown there no well he did mention shono by name a 
uh, when the STF came on. B, it was either him or Robbie Eagles, who was doing really good as sort of like the Alan Hansen, Mark Lawrenson role on commentary. Really impressed with Robbie Eagles, actually, uh, from a commentary standpoint. He's like, okay, Umino's put this on, just so Osprey has to struggle to get out of it, and that buys him recovery time. Maybe, but there was that whole thing, he was just a house of fire burst of energy. That was a whole, like, that's, that's suddenly Hulk Hogan hulks up, and then he takes someone down for a headlock takedown. No, he hits him with the punches and the big boots. I poke as well at some point, usually. So John Moxley, that was such a wonderful moment of like, how great is this that like a seemingly random singles match just used to introduce John Moxley to this crowd has become this bromance. Yeah. Over the course of seven years or so at this point. No, not seven years, but like five years or something. And then Claudio Sarge of Utah, blah, 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 Civil War, book it. Why are parents always nice to their other kids than everyone else than their own? <laughs> You're watching additional children? That's an Everyone Loves Raymond reference, by the way. Oh, wow, we're really busting them out now. <laughs> so what I was also then surprised by was, like, Moxley then becomes a non-factor for, like, the next ten minutes, and he really does not take away from... The focus of Umino, he doesn't like absorb the heat, but he is there for moral support. But His the- first line, don't you dare fucking quit. <laughs> As Umino's being pummeled. <laughs> but it was wonderful because like Osprey had said to, because Umino came out to challenge him. And Osprey said, well, who do you think's the best wrestler in the world? Because he was saying I'm the best wrestler in the world. And Umino didn't say himself, he said John Moxley. Yeah. And that was why John Moxley was at that show. I think he was having a match with the Great Khan. Yes. Then it would set up what we thought was going to be a fantastic next five-star match. And instead, Timmy Mallet got involved. And so... <laughs> got to have Bullet Club somewhere, haven't you? But there's those wonderful moments of someone ringside yelling at them. Like, there's some great examples of that in the past in New Japan. The, one of my favourite ones is the Super J Cup. Jushin Liger has just been beaten in a huge surprise by the great Sasuke in the semi-finals, and Sasuke makes it to the final against Wild Pegasus. And the person that's yelling at Sasuke the most to get back in the ring and keep fighting is Liger. We've covered that one, haven't we, I think, yeah. Yeah, you didn't like it. No. <laughs> oh, the other one bef- after that was when Ricky Choshu made his like last hurrah run at the 1996 G1 Climax Finals. And he's against Chono in the final. And so Chono's like never lost a G1 final. And he's really beaten the shit out of Choshu at this point. And Choshu's in big trouble. And that was back in the day when all the other tournament entrants would be around the ringside area, like the Super J Cup. Okay. And who's there yelling at him to keep fighting? But Tatsumi Fujinami, his hated rival throughout the 80s. But, you know, it's like, I know what you can do. And so he then gives him the slap, mm. as Inoki gave to Fujinami. Like, you're better than this. Yeah, and that... <laughs> you're making me look bad for struggling so much against you. <laughs> well, for that one, it's like great rivals coming together over time. I suppose I kind of implied that was where John Cena and Edge were, I suppose, when like John Cena had to bring back the authority to save Edge's neck. Yeah. Uh, I don't, again, I, I kind of am glad that we've more been talking about everything surrounding the match rather than the match itself because it's it's a lot of just the regular Will Ospreay stuff, but this story actually suits his, the stature he's trying to give every match at the, yeah. this point. It, it fits. It works. It's not, let's play the hits. 
And also, it does something that we don't re- very rarely see, the introduction of tables. And was it Umino that set those tables up on the ring No. Side? So, Osprey puts the first table out, but Umino has the... Uh, Umino gets an opportunity after reversing a move to use the table. Decides against it, and then after being spat at, decides, right, you want tables, you wanted tables, slams him into the one where the belts are, and then yeets it at him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, really nasty one as well. Those tables, man, they're dangerous. I mean, I th- I'm kind of relieved that they, weirdly, them using two was a safety precaution because the width is not great. No, I mean, I've, I was, I was talking to some friends recently. What's one of the most, what's the most dangerous spots you've seen in wrestling? And one of them for me has to be when Okada backdropped o- Omega over the top of the first Wrestle Kingdom match they had, and Omega went flying so far that he landed on the table. And it was just there's metal bits flying all over the place. And it's like, it's not those WWE yeah. saw them in half. And even then, with those, as safe as those tables can be, Hardcore Holly ended up slicing his back up once on mm. one of them. And that's just the humble table. Obviously, you talk about most dangerous spots you've seen. We've covered the You Cannot Kill David Arquette, where they have to speed to the hospital. Well, that's just like, weirdly, that's just dangerous within and of itself. But it wasn't a spot. It was just an accident within it. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't intended that, yeah, try to slice your neck, but not really slice your neck. With this one, it was, I am throwing, I'm planning to do this spot. Let's just hope it works. <laughs> so weirdly with this one, them doing it over two tables felt safer, which is a crazy way of saying it. I wasn't sure how much I liked it. it. It served its purpose. I don't think it needed it. Just as I don't think this match needed the 40 minutes. You could argue... I understand why he goes through the table at the spot in the match where he does. Because it gives him adequate time to um, show that he's not that easily killed. But a lot happens after... Which is... With a Japanese table, it is kind of murder, death, kill. And they do. They've already established that Umino can take it. You didn't need this part of taking it in this kind. There wasn't a hatred level for me to. Like, given the fact that when they when the match is over, they're essentially hugging each other as close as they can. Yeah, <laughs> that camera so. work was beautiful. Catching there, just clasping each other's hands mm. after they're both on the mat. And then Umino bowing in respect and weeping. Osprey returning the favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, because I didn't go into this thinking, ah, oh, the long storied history of Shota Umino and Will Ospreay. But Ospreay did the job that you're supposed to do of those trial series of matches, I suppose, that Umino's going through right now. The Naito one didn't do anything for him. Yeah. His first G1 didn't do anything for him. But this has shown. I guess it's just that thing of will there be other Will people of Will Ospreay's style and, and ability? And, you know, as much as I love Naito, he can't go at that osprey pace anymore except for that one g1 final with osprey and it might have killed him (laughs) he's trying bless him but the body is unable but the heart is willing again how much are they working us how much did night is naito absolutely able to do this but the character that he's playing is not that so it's like the the character that i thought umino was playing at the start of this match and then suddenly no i have this charisma i have this confidence i have this swagger I'd just been hiding it from you yeah. in all this time. As we said, like Okada was just hiding this best wrestler in the world guy. First as a young lion, then as fucking Green Hornet tribute acts. <laughs> and then just suddenly, oh, wait, no, this is one of the best wrestlers in the world. He's just never been able to show yeah. it. And to lose it again and start like mucking around with balloons and to refind it. 
<laughs> we saw new things from Umino in this match. And again, it's like, does Will Ospreay bring that out of him or does he bring that out of himself from now on? Will Umino in three or four years' time be able to carry that Oleg block? Well, it would be a different kind of dynamic. But one of the young lions right now, can Umino have this match with that person in 2029 when he's three-time IWGP heavyweight champion and everything? Yeah. Like, I can believe now, if you put the IWGP heavyweight belt on Umino now, I wouldn't feel like this is too soon. Well, maybe this is too soon. Dep- again, depends. We haven't seen him as the person that carries people. But if New Japan sees the future in this guy, I get it. Yeah. There's a trajectory that he can definitely follow and be great. It's just whether or not he gets to. So for this match, I am personally going to go four and three quarter stars because I didn't think it needed to be as long as it did. There were a few lulls I didn't need. For me, giving it four and three quarter stars is like Meltzer giving something five and a half. So, <laughs> you know, as, an, as a conversion rate, put it that way. I would not have a problem with anyone saying it's five. I probably wouldn't even argue with them if they said, like, this is the, my favorite match of the year or this is my favorite Will Ospreay match of the year. Mm. It was something different to the Kenny Omega matches, too. I've gone back and forth on whether to go the whole hog. I... I'm going to say four and three quarters as well. It's a four and three quarters that's closer to a five than it is a four and a half. Yeah, yeah. It, look, and, like, and again, quarter start. We've, we've done this ad infinitum. What I'm saying with this is it was insanely good. It ju- I just didn't get quite over the line for it. Maybe because, uh, as Lorcan's already alluded to, the length of match. But I'm not, I'm not going to spend time picking holes in what was a really, really good performance. I just didn't get to my apex with it well that has been the first half of the double header for us and now we are coming to the final single match that we'll talk about in the original format of the melts five star project for next week's episode but what is fascinating about the match that we're going with is it's not in new japan it's not involving will osprey it's not involving anyone that you would expect usually but it's involving and it's involving a debutante and it's at a promotion that we haven't been to for the Five Star Project in a very, very long time. And it's also a five and a quarter star match, if you're curious, according to Melts. So, Simon, where are we? To quote the script, we're going back to the corner. Not where we first saw you, but where we spent the most of the time with, to paraphrase the script. That was, I butchered that. But we are in all Japan. <gasps> uh, but the first time since 1999. This is wild. 24 years. We are looking at a match taking place on their Giant series. The day after this this Osprey Umino match happened. Yes, on the 5th of November. Very culturally significant date in the UK. Not over there, but... But they were burning the house down, weren't they, Simon? The fireworks were on display. Oh, yes. And they are on display between Katsuhiko Nakajima and Yuma Ayogi. Ayoagi, I think. I'm not sure. Ayoagi. I apologise. Uh, we'll double check before that then to make sure that we get that right. Yeah. For the Triple Crown. I mean, it's all coming back out, all coming out of the woodwork. But until then, Simon, if people want to give some recommendations for some matches that they've seen in the interim of those 24 years from All Japan that might have been worthy of five stars, take keeping in mind that we did a recent match of the week of Kijimuto against Genichiro Tenru from 2001, so don't give us that one. 
How can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter or X, but it's always going to be Twitter in my mind, where I am known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of crowns in the Triple Crown. And I've sort of shot my load early because I could have used that perfectly for the next episode, but <laughs> we move. <laughs> my name's Lorcan Munn. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the end of Shooter. N for the N that's the second from last letter in Umino. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. You can put it at gmail.com at the end of it. That's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntwisepod at gmail.com. LNTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. We never once mentioned Red Shoes having to referee his own son in this match, I've realised. Yeah, well... What a pro. Ah, I did, because I said he's, it's good that he has both his dads out there. Okay. Yeah, I made yeah. one passing comment to it. But it is crazy. He didn't really do much of anything. The only thing I can I thought of was when... Umino went re- reckless and started stomping on Osprey's vase. And it was like him having to pull him away like he might have had a younger brother. Yeah. And whilst he was doing that, and Umino was arguing with his dad, he was still doing the, sh- the, stealth, doing the back kicks. stealth kicks behind <laughs> him. Proper, I'll be moving my arms like this. And if you get hit, it's it your own fault. fault kind of logic. All I was doing was like stretching my ankles, dad. Yeah. His head being in the way was his own fault. We've all done it. But until then, there's nothing to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and three quarter star time. Until the next time.